0: well good morning everyone it's wonderful to be with you in the building and wonderful to be sharing the word for those at home or wherever you are watching this welcome it's fantastic to be able to be here and to share with you and for you now as Carl's rightly said we are starting a new series deep in prayer this is about who we're becoming not so much about what we are doing and What needs to be said from the outset, you know, prayer is a massive subject. It is a massive topic. And we just feel that what we're moving into is simply what God has highlighted to us, what we want to journey in and what we want to become. And it's important to say what we're offering isn't just a formula. Prayer isn't just a formula. It's not just an activity. It's actually a lifestyle. It's communion and communing with God. And so... As we look into this, I just wanted to share an overview, some of the subjects, the topics we're going to be looking at, hopefully they'll come on the screens. Um, so this is what we're doing over the months of May, June and July. We're looking at lamenting, we're looking at fighting, listening, soaking, meditating on the word, fasting, praising, thanking and persisting. These are the topics we're going to be looking at to address our prayer lives, our lifestyle and our communing with God. And today I'm so excited to kick off with talking about simply loving God. Not loving prayer, but loving God. Because if we love God, guess what? We'll love prayer. And not just prayer as an activity, but we'd love a lifestyle of prayer. And just during my time of praying and as a leadership team preparing us for this, I feel there's two areas we're going to grow in over these next three months that God wants us to continue to grow in forever. And that's our love for God. So expect to grow in your love for God over this series, and just in your life, but also expect to grow in your honesty. We're going to be more honest with ourselves, we're going to be more honest with one another, and most importantly, we're going to be more honest with God. And so I get to kick off this series and look into some of these kind of topics and the nature of what it means to love God more and to be more honest generally. One thing I'd love to do, as you know, if you've been kind of part of Wellspring Church family or watching at least online for some time, is I love to give illustrations that help us better picture things, hopefully to make things more easier to understand rather than complicated. And so what I have right here in front of me is a water hose that is connected to a tap that's off screen. And uh, hopefully in a moment I'm going to show you what a water hose does. But this is to illustrate what prayer is like. Prayer is like using a water hose and having water run through a watering hose. Now, a tap is an endless source of water. The tap can be like the Father's love. It can be God's love. It can be God. And the watering hose is like us. But more importantly, not just like us, but actually like our prayer lives. And what runs through us is living water, flowing water. Streams of living water, not just in us, but actually through us to the other side. The thing is, with this analogy, we could think, well, you can turn off the tap whenever you want. But no, that's not the point of this analogy. The part that we get to turn off is right here. Glad I finished that in time. There was a bit of me saying, cut it down, David. Maybe this is how we should preach from now on. eh?" (laughs) Look, when we pray, When we're a part of a lifestyle of prayer, we don't control how the tap flows. The tap pours out. But a really important thing for us to understand is in our prayer lives, just because we're not actively praying doesn't mean we disconnect from God. Look, this hose is still connected to the tap. And the point is there is still water in the hose pipe right now. Watch. Watch. See, there's still water inside. And it's really important that we realise with our prayer lives, whether we're praying actively, we're still connected, and we can still have his presence in us. But here's the thing. If we're actively considering not praying, when things aren't coming and flowing out of us, here's the thing. Living water is defined by moving. So when we stop actively engaging with God after some time, the water in here is no longer moving. It's no longer living. Our prayer lives should be one that we're always connected to God. But there are times when the living water flows through us because it's flowing in us. Okay, That's what prayer can be. And we'll be looking at that throughout our series together. Right, I'm glad that's worked. We can come back together now. So as we delve into this subject together, if you've got your Bibles with you, If you want to turn them on or you want to open them up, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 26 to you. And it says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, if you're reading on the screens or watching it through on the screens, I've highlighted parts of the passage which I believe God will really speak to us through today. But just know, all of the passage, all of the things are important. But today, look at those highlights if you can. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. The fact is, you have, five, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So in this passage, in this passage of scripture, what we have, just to summarize, is a woman, a Samaritan woman, going out to get water in the middle of the day. And then we've got a thirsty, we've got a tired Jewish, Jewish Jesus. And then they engage in a conversation, starting with water, but ending up about worship. And this conversation ends with Jesus revealing to the woman that he is the Messiah, the promised Christ. Now, you may be thinking, David, why have you chosen this passage to talk about prayer? It's a bit obscure, isn't it? And the reason why I'll just answer straight away is because of verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus says, true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. But here's the bit that grabs me. Here's the bit that hopefully will grab you. It says, these kind of worshippers, true worshippers, are the worshippers that the Father is seeking. Hold it right there. What the Father is seeking. When we talk about prayer, how much is it always about, when we think about it from our perspective, it's about our approach. It's about us seeking God. It's about us finding God. It's about us approaching him, finding him, looking for him, going towards him. Whilst all the while, the Father has been looking for us. He's been seeking us out as true worshippers. And that's why the title of my sermon today is Loving God. And that works as an adjective because it describes who God is. He is a loving Father. He's a loving God. But it also describes our perfect response to a perfect loving Father. To love Him. So we're going to be talking about our heart and passion. But first I think we must spend some time looking at this loving God. Because you see, even this description of Jesus seeking or saying the father is seeking true worshippers, this reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. The story Jesus tells of a lost son. In fact, it should be called the lost sons. There's two sons in the story. Look at the father in this story. The father seeks out both sons. Whilst the son is far off, he goes to him. The son in the field, the father goes to And here in this passage, in John chapter 4, we have a Samaritan woman and Jesus has sought her out. Isn't it incredible, in this passage, Jesus refers to the father. This is the first time in John's gospel, four chapters in, and this is the first time Jesus has referred to his father personally. The only other time is in chapter 2 when he simply mentions his father's house. What's fantastic, connect those two things together and you'll see both passages are about worship. This must be a priority of God or a priority of at least Jesus, the Messiah, who first addresses the Father and it's about worship. And so for us today, isn't that what we seek to become? True worshippers. So my first point today for us in loving God is that there is a Father, a loving Father who is seeking us and seeking us as true worshippers. And he's seeking us not just from afar, that's why I referred to the story of the prodigal son, but coming to us with his personal presence. And Jesus is the personal presence of God shown even in this chapter coming to the woman. It reminds me of Psalm 23, a famous psalm, but in verse 6 of that psalm it says, surely your goodness will come after me. This is The state, the approach of the Father who we're praying to. So before we even think about our approach, before we think about concerning our approach, just know the Father is seeking us and loving us. And we've got Jesus in this passage already seeking this woman out. Seeking. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We are the lost But in Christ Jesus, we are found. And one thing that's really important to point out in this passage is the effort God has gone to to seek and save us. The effort Jesus is even going through here. You know, the Father is so keen for you. You are so dear to him. He loves you so, so much. It's an incomparable love. And just like the tap, the love never runs out. It's got nothing to do with you. You can't turn off the tap of God. God's love will continue to pour out because it's who he is. It's his nature as a loving father. And Jesus comes to overcome all those divides, all those things that are in the place that stop us from receiving God's love. And the first thing I'm going to point out here in three points is there is a racial divide. There's a racial divide going on in this story. In verse four, it talks about the route Jesus went. Yes, he had to go through Sumeria if he's going back to Galilee, but he definitely didn't have to go to Sychar. And it's it's the writing of John. John, when you read John, look at all the props. Look at the timing of the day. Look at the places there's a bigger picture at play. If you see uh, the map that's going to come up in the screen in a bit, Jesus, if he was going to Galilee, the easiest, quickest route is to go just upstream, follow the stream. But no, he veers off and goes towards Sychar. Sychar would have been through the wilderness. That's a tough journey. It's a difficult journey. It's even a dangerous journey for a Jew who doesn't get on with Samaritans, apparently. And yet Jesus chose this way. He said he had to go through it. Jesus had a divine appointment and an encounter with a woman, a woman at the well. Now, if you put up the next slide, what you'll see is not only is there this geographical divide, but actually there's this racial divide. And you see, it's helpful to understand the Jewish kind of discrimination of the day, or at least kind of the partitions between them. So at the very center, the true Jew is the Pharisee. And even that, to be honest, could be break, broke down into seven different layers. These are the law-abiding citizens. You can have the leaders of the Jewish faith. Then the next step out, next downgrade, is just being a Judean from the Lion of Judah, the tribe of Judea. And then there's the Israelites. That's the next kind of bracket, you know, all of Israel. And then after the Israelites, you get the Gentile God-fearers. Interesting, isn't it? I talked about the temple worship. The outer courts of the temple were for the God-fearers to approach God who were not Jews. Then outside of that, the next boundary is the Gentiles, just the Gentiles. And Gentile basically means foreigners to Jews, the non-Jewish people. And then finally, on the outskirts of this, the final chapter, the final end of this discrimination is the Samaritans. And you'd be like, well, why is that? Because they're already quite close geographically. And that's to do with their history. They were part of the promised people. And yet during, if you read in the Old Testament, especially around the king's time, they ended up taking on other religions, other idols. And so what's worse than not knowing the truth at all is having the truth, being part of the promised people and then walking away or even merging it with something else. And this is why there was this difficulty between the Jews and the Samaritans. Meanwhile, this whole time, Jesus approaches this woman in the middle of the day And speaks to her. And that's why you see again uh, in verse 9 or something, you see the the Samaritan woman so shocked that Jesus would talk to her. Jesus has sought out the woman and he seeks out each and every one of us on the Father's behalf. But there's a reason why. And that reason is because he believes you're worthwhile. So for all of you who don't think you are good enough for God, that's true. But you know what? He thinks you're worthwhile. And he's approaching you even today, looking for you to be a true worshipper. And what this means is not only are you worthwhile, but he is also. He is worthy of the worship, the true worship, which is in spirit and in truth. And so we're going to just spend a bit of time looking at this because there's something about being a true worshipper. We have to recognise if we're not that, then we're a counterfeit worshipper. Or there's some other things going on. And we can see this in the passage as the woman illustrates it and Jesus illustrates it coming to the woman. We can put ourselves, man or woman, we can put ourselves in her place and see the love of God on display for us. So the second point for us to look at today in loving God is loving God in spirit. Love God in spirit. It says it in the passage. And what that really means is not inconsistently. To love God in spirit means to love God consistently, with our whole hearts, wholeheartedly. It means with everything. And the Jewish understanding would know this because a shema, a passage they would have grown up with, is loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And spirit just means that altogether. Actually, in the time of Jesus saying this, in the Greek kind of speaking day, they added mind because it's just split out in all these things. But what it means to love God in spirit or to worship God in spirit means with everything, even the word ruach, which is the Hebrew word for spirit, means breath. With all your breath, with all your being, to love the Lord. What this means, if it's wholeheartedly, we've got to look at the counterfeit version. So. To not love the Lord wholeheartedly, to not love the Lord in spirit, means partially. doesn't mean not at all. And I think this is the hard thing for us as Christians today, Christ followers today. We can fall into the trap of partial worship. And partial worship isn't true worship. And this is the thing that's always been an issue through history. We can worship the Lord with our lips, but not with our hearts. And you'll see this in Isaiah and through the Old Testament with the Jewish race. There's been this difficulty that you'll say one thing, but something else is going on on the inside. You'll worship fine on the outside. We pray fine on the outside. But then on the inside, there's something that's not consistent going on. And you'll see this with this woman here, the Samaritan again. Here, Jesus He's overcome the racial divide and now he overcomes the heart divide. Where all our hearts seem divided and fragmented and broken and understanding comes in. Jesus comes to love the Lord with all his heart, mind and soul. Jesus comes and loves the Father perfectly so we can be found in him. Everything that got in the way, Jesus makes a way. And you see with the Samaritan, I've already said the Samaritan woman... We understand the Samaritans had separated out their faith to have other gods and to let other gods come into the mix. This is the same as us today loving the world. It's not wrong simply to appreciate things and enjoy things, but I've come more and more to realise how much loving the things of this world kind of mixes it. My love for God isn't completely devoted to him. I'm pulled in many different angles. Jesus in uh, Matthew's gospel talks about adultery. See, we're talking about a heart issue here. And he says, doesn't matter if you're not committing the act of adultery, but you're doing it in your heart when you lust. See, this is about a heart issue, a whole heart issue. How about us when we get annoyed with somebody and frustrated with somebody? It says in Matthew's gospel about getting angry at somebody. So maybe I haven't gone and punched somebody in the face. Maybe I haven't gone and got in a fight, but there's resentment in my heart. There's, there's calling somebody a fool in my heart. This is what Jesus has come to overcome, to deal with, so that we could be wholehearted in our love and in our devotion to the Lord. See, Christ, you see in this picture, gives us spirit, his spirit. And the spirit's represented in this passage by this living water that springs up to eternal life. You see it in verse 10. And you see it again in verse 14. Can I just encourage you? There's so many things in the world that like, please us to the eyes, right? You see this in later on. John writes a letter. I think it's in First John. In fact, I'll read you the scripture because I have it. It says this, in First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Well, I want to be a true worshipper. So I can't love the world in the way it's suggesting. For everything in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. This is amazing that Jesus overcame all those things on our behalf so that we can come to know the Lord and love the Lord wholeheartedly. Jesus sought us out. And not only that, when when all these things are coming into play, can I just encourage you, encourage us, that the Holy Spirit, what the Lord has for each and every one of us, even though there may be some hard journeying and difficult times ahead, there is nothing more satisfying than the living water, the presence of God in our lives, filling us from head to toe. And what we haven't read, actually, in the rest of John chapter 4, the passage doesn't end there. There's more of the story of the woman. And what you'll find out, remember the woman went out, To get water with the watering jar. The one thing she leaves behind, the very thing she came out for, water, as in the water at the well. She leaves the watering jar, she leaves the water jar and runs back to the village. Come on guys, we've got to leave our own water jars back and we've got to run for the village. We've got to run to the people and share about the good news of Jesus Christ. So much so that we can leave behind even the things that we value. To the point that we're leaving them behind, abandoning everything else, and going for the good news. Yeah. Yeah. We're called to love God in spirit, and Jesus has overcome the heart divide for us so that we can be filled with that living water in the passage that Jesus talks about, his spirit in us, which truly satisfies and gives life. Third and finally, loving God is about loving God in truth this means sincerely love god in truth not insincerely this means with honesty this means with no masks on interesting isn't it the old performers back in the day would wear masks to perform so honesty doesn't just mean realness honesty means not performing as somebody else not performing as how you ought to be or how you think you should be, simply bringing yourself. And the reason we perform is because we have shame. We don't think we're good enough as we are or we're not happy with the way we are. It's important not to hide, but to be humble, to be real about our state of sin or shame, but not to remain in that place because the life of Jesus transforms us as we approach him. One of the things about worshipping God and praying and loving God in truth is actually in the truth of understanding with knowledge. And this is something Jesus brings as well. So I want to encourage us not to be false or fake when we love God, when we pray to him. Let's not perform because that's insincere. And actually that doesn't make it for God. That, that, that's like an awful offering to bring to him. We may think this looks good. But what we have to realise, what pleases the Father is our main priority. What pleases us may fall so much shorter. And really, if we're worshipping him in spirit with our whole hearts, we want to give him everything that pleases him. Any of that shame that we're concerned about, it gets dealt with as we worship wholeheartedly, as we worship in truth. So Jesus overcomes the moral divide. Look again, he seeks out this woman. He sought out this woman on behalf of the father and the woman is caught in adultery. When well, it says she's had five husbands and she's with somebody who isn't even her husband. So there's this sin issue, right? And even, that's the reason she's out during the middle of the day is because she's avoiding. She's ashamed. She's avoiding the other people in her village. This is why it's such an incredible transformation that she goes running back in. She is ashamed and she's got sin in her life, but Jesus speaks to her. Jesus goes after her. Jesus approaches her. And and of everybody he could have talked about the father with, of everybody. Remember in the Jewish race and all that kind of circles of where he could have gone to, to speak to what God really has. He goes to the furthest far off region. He's tired. He's thirsty. And he shares the love of God with her. He says, God is searching for you as a true worshipper. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what your lifestyle has been. Jesus is searching for each and every one of us. And nothing that you've done or not done can separate you from his love. Because he accepts you as you are, but he will transform you and change you. So that you are a wholehearted worshipper in truth and that you're honest. This is our Lord. This is our Saviour. Christ gives forgiveness and understanding. You see in the passage, in in verse 21 and 22, it says, you worship what you do not know. But the Jews worship what we do know. But at the end of the passage of what we've read here in verse 26, he reveals to her that he is the Christ. See, a conversation with Jesus brings revelation. Forgiveness and revelation. So we can know who we are worshipping who we are praying to and i really want to encourage us with the honesty we've run out of time but it's really important that we realize we are honest with ourselves if we're going to really do business with the lord we've got to be honest with ourselves and in 1 john chapter 1 verse 7 the same author is john's gospel but if we walk in the light it says as he is in the light we have have fellowship with one another That's really important. As we walk towards the light, as we walk in truth, we have fellowship with one another. No divides. Jesus has overcome them so we can be real with one another. And then it says this, and the blood of Jesus. Have you ever wondered what? You're walking in the light, but then it mentions the blood of Jesus. What's the point of that? Well, it's actually because when we're in the light, things come out. Things are seen. And there's a reminder that the blood of Jesus covers them and deals with them. The last part of this verse says, purifies us from all, from all sin. So finally to end, we have a loving God. The Father is seeking us. Loving God is about in spirit. Loving God is about in truth. We're going to go deeper in our love for him and in honesty. We're going to understand what it means to be a water hose, always connected to the Father, but having streams of living water flow in us and through us. The Father is seeking you out. He's seeking you out every day, committed to loving you. doesn't matter where you're from, what culture you're from, what you've done, what you haven't done, what you've said, what you've thought in your heart, you can come to the Lord today and receive forgiveness, restoration and understanding. But here's the real crux of the matter, guys. And here's where we've got to go as a church family. And this is tough. But we've got to look at ourselves and say, are we, are you a true worshipper? Where has my worship been counterfeit? Where has my worship been counterfeit? Where have I been inconsistent? Where have I been insincere? The band are going to come up in just a moment. We're going to have some live worship. really excited about this. We're going to sing a song of um, loving the Lord with all our hearts. Coming back to the heart of worship. It's really important that we don't just skip off from this place that the Lord has brought us to. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for us to love the Lord in spirit, wholeheartedly, and in truth, in honesty. And I do feel there is a word here for many of us. could even be for me. I know in my kind of flesh moments of thinking about me striving without God, I perform. And we've got to move from this place of performing, people. We've just got to, because God is worthy. And he thought you were, and he still thinks you're worthwhile saving you as you are, not as you should be. You're worthwhile. The Father loves you with everything in him that he gave his one and only son. So we can trust him to confess our sin, our fallen nature, the struggles we have, the bitterness we may have in our hearts. We can trust him to be gracious, to be kind, to forgive us and to give us more knowledge and wisdom of how we can move on with him. Heavenly Father right now I just want to thank you for Jesus thank you for the example he is to each and every one of us of you that you're seeking after us and I pray right now for everybody engaging with this service Lord God there would be some open and honest dialogue with you right now that Father you would come and take your place in our hearts that living water would flow through us that there would be nothing to hide and nothing to fear because we're with you. Come and fill your church afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.